Welcome to the SMB Community Podcast with your hosts, Amy Babinchak, James Kernan, and Carl Polichuk. Produced by and for the Small Biz Thoughts community, we're dedicated to making every IT professional a successful IT professional. Did you know that the average MSP spends 10 hours manually inputting accounting data each week? That time is 120 prospect calls, building an entire Lego Death Star, or most of the content put out by Carl Polichuk in a week. Gazinta Mobius can make your life easier through accounting automation. Automatic sync of invoices, expenses, and inventory from ConnectWise Manage into QuickBooks Online in just a single click of a button. With onboarding, direct support, and regular feature releases, Gazinta is a family-owned company dedicated to making software suck a little less each day. Visit them at gozynta.com. Hi, this is Carl, and I want to talk today about engaging your clients at a very serious level about security. And I want to spell out what I think is a a very strong and powerful method that you can use to make sure that your clients don't get away with not dealing with security. And And I'll tell you what I mean. So let's back up a bit. The insurance industry spent, I want to say, 15 years insuring people for cybersecurity. And for the most part, those were literally like extended warranties. Everybody offers you an extended warranty, and the people at the checkout get bonuses based on how many extended warranties they sell. And the reason for that is that it's 99% profit. This is one of the reasons why Consumer Reports, to my knowledge, they have never endorsed any extended warranty on anything ever. Cards, microwaves, uh, shredders, (laughs) microphones, televisions, nothing ever, ever. Because for the most part, the number of things that go wrong where you can't get it solved under a manufacturer warranty is microscopic. And many people buy them thinking they're going to use them and they never do. And cybersecurity used to be like that. We used to have a client in my IT business that they managed the personnel records for Fortune 500 businesses. And they regularly would get audited by big companies, big, big companies. Literally every company that was their client is a company you've heard of. So they would be audited. We would have to fill out all these forms. And they would be audited by their insurance company. And they would be audited by the bank because they had so much liability managing personnel records. Now, this was years before anybody used the term personally identifiable information. But the insurance company literally never raised their rates and never turned them down for insurance, even though, at least early on when we started working with them, we checked a lot of boxes that said no. 
we don't secure the server. No, we haven't sealed the plenum between our office and the next office. No, we haven't sealed the door at the top of the building. No, we haven't secured this, you know, so forth and so on. There were a lot of no's early on. Now, companies, big name companies traded on Wall Street, who had their personnel records with this company, basically asked us all the same questions, but they didn't want no to be the answer. And so they would start with the most important stuff and they would say, okay, next quarter, we're going to do this again. And the answer needs to be yes. Not kind of, not sort of, you need to secure this or we will take our business somewhere else. And so as a result, they became more secure over time, not because of pressure from the insurance company, but from pressure from their actual clients who were paying them money. Skip ahead a bit. The insurance industry spent years and years and years selling cybersecurity insurance. And to be honest, the policies weren't super expensive. I mean, I remember when our backup policy went to something like an extra $150 a year. And that's because we were managing people's backups. And the insurance industry didn't really understand what we did for a living. Didn't matter. Somebody there understood what a backup was and they came up with a number. But insurance industry should be based entirely on probabilities, right? Think about life insurance. Your insurance company has a pretty good idea that unless you do something stupid or get in an accident, they kind of have a good idea of how long you're going to live and how, when they would pay out and how long it's going to be. And that's not true with cybersecurity. For years and years and years, they sold these policies without any idea of what the payouts were going to be. And then the payout started. $100 for ransomware, $500 for ransomware, $1,000, $10,000, $100,000. And when it got into the millions, suddenly the insurance companies looked around and said, oh no, <laughs> what have we done? And that's why in the last couple of years, your rates have, for many of you, doubled and some of you more than that. Some people can't even get cybersecurity insurance, at least not from the people that they used to get it from. So the world has changed and your clients can no longer ignore this. It's not like they get to say, ah, well, we're just not going to do that. So many clients in small business want to wave their hand and say, that doesn't apply to me. We don't need that. We never do that. We don't blah, blah, blah. Well, this is one that you can't afford to ignore. Unless you're willing to say, I don't have enough money and I don't care and I'll just go bankrupt and disappear and go get a job. You have to determine whether or not you can afford the kind of payouts that are happening. And one of the more famous cases from a couple of years ago is about the company that got sued because there was a phishing attack and the company paid out $1.7 million and then sued the MSP. 
Now, to my knowledge, that hasn't been settled yet, but my guess is that the MSP really actually did some bad things. Like they should not have advertised that they were going to take care of the security and let you just go back and do your business. You know, so many people made that claim. But realistically, the MSP is not responsible for somebody being stupid or being caught in a trap that it would take five minutes for someone to uh, stop. And so in this particular case, it's not like they got breached. It's not like they got ransomware. It was a phishing attack. Somebody spoofed uh, an address and then a series of events happened that doesn't matter how many backups or whatever they had, uh, what actually happened was a human being transferred 1.7 million that they shouldn't have. And ultimately, I hope the MSP wins that case, but I can't guarantee it. And the reason I bring all of that up is that you have to take this seriously. You can no longer ignore it. And it's fine for me to keep saying that, but I want to give you actual real-world practical advice of how you begin having these conversations with your clients. And, you know, part of this is you need to develop a questionnaire to, to literally ask your clients. Questions like, do you have a written policy for handling company data? Chances are it's... If it's yes, it's not a good one. If it's yes, they may not know how to find it. It may not be well distributed. It, it might literally be a policy that exists in a file cabinet and nobody actually knows what it is. For many businesses, the answer is going to be no, we don't have a written policy. I don't know what you mean by handling company data. Like, what, what data are you talking about? Well, this is where you need to sit down, not with the whole company, not in a conference room. You need to sit down with your primary contact, whether that's the owner, the business manager, the office manager, whoever it is that can actually make some decisions and influence policy at that company. They need to know, for example, that PCI or credit card information has to be secured. And again, this is, it's one thing to say I checked a box and I filled out some paperwork. It's another thing to actually know that I can't walk into that office and find credit cards written down on a piece of paper in an unlocked file cabinet or on somebody's desk or being emailed to somebody. And part of this starts by Talking to your client, and I'm just going to say your client, but you know I mean the manager, or the, the owner, whatever. You got to talk to your client and say, what are the ways that data moves inside your company? And you need to be completely ready for them to look at you with open eyes and say, I don't know what you're talking about. Remember, this is not what they do for a living. They don't, they don't say this is data, like I move data. I don't know. I don't move any data. Okay, stop. You know, at some point you have a cloud drive, whether it is Azure or Dropbox or a map drive on Ignite or 
um, you know, jungle disk or something. You have a cloud drive somewhere. So what things are stored on that cloud drive? With luck, it is 99.9% .9 of everything in their company, which means if they've got that drive, you need to know who accesses it and how. If you had to shut that drive down today, how would you do that? And how would you secure it? Let's say that, that they fired an employee who had a very sour attitude all of a sudden. Is that cloud drive secure? Is all that data secure from a client or an employee with bad intention? So that's one item. But then there's also other drives that gets used. So somebody in the sales department regularly sends stuff on their personal Dropbox. They send it to themselves at home so that they can work at home in the evening. Somebody else regularly sends stuff to their Google Drive. And or they send it to a friend and say, say hey, you know, I'm going to be over there soon. Uh, download this so I can work on it. Some people still bring in devices and stick them in their computers. Some computers, especially laptops, uh, you can just plug in an SD card and, you know, I got a camera that I've got a 256 gig SD card. It's almost ridiculous. And there, I don't know if there's any terabyte SD cards yet, but if not, they'll be here soon. But they sell terabyte, in fact, they sell four terabyte USB drives at Staples that you can just plug in and suck down all the data in the company and take it home for the evening. Is that happening? Are people storing things on their personal laptop, on their business laptop? Again, you need to start by saying, how does data move in and out of the company? Which kinds of things happen through email? Do we attach documents to email? I set up a, a tiny, almost microscopic limit on what attachments can be in email because I don't want anybody who works for me to email anything to anybody else, even if they work for me. We send people links to the actual data. And that way, all we have to do is change access to that data and the link becomes bad. It also means that we don't ever have anything in email that could possibly have personally identifiable information or other secure information. So you need to ask about, do people put things on their phone? Do they take pictures of company stuff and send it back and forth? You know, and the, the difference between a company cloud drive, like, you know, you might have a corporate level Dropbox or Azure Drive or even a Google Drive that you're paying for that's secure. But you have to actually list out, does anybody move by other means? Do they send things in personal mail? Do they have removable storage devices? Do they post things on social media? Some people... I've seen people post up secure company information in a private Facebook group that only people in their company can use. And I think, oh my God, like, what are you doing? 
But you need to start with an honest audit of how data moves back and forth. Where does it move to? Where does it move from? And by which means does it move? So now that's literally, that's your left side column. And then you're going to go across and you're going to fill in the rows. And the rows are going to be, all right, what does that data look like? And again, they're going to look at you glassy-eyed and say, I don't know what you mean. We don't, we don't have any data in our company. <laughs> It's like, okay, well, let's start with hiring a new employee. Where are those personnel records? Where do they live? How are they moved around? How are they collected? How are they stored, right? Is it encrypted on the move? And some of this stuff they're not going to know the answer to. All they're going to know is I, I put that on the X drive under the company folders and there's a private folder that only I can get to. And um, as far as I know, that's true. And it may just be that it's a map drive and everybody else ignores it. But they need to know what is information that has a social security number or banking information. And if that's all information you collect when you hire somebody, well, all right, that's got to be in a specific place. And then you've got really boring data. You've got your day-to-day -day Excel spreadsheets and Word documents that include client names and addresses, sometimes home addresses, home phone numbers, right? All that kind of stuff. You need to help them figure this out. And it goes from, on one extreme, personnel and banking information, and on the other extreme, public information. Information such as that which is on your website. So clearly the stuff that's on a website, that information can be stored on a, on a OneDrive. It can be sent in email. It's already out there. And so it needs far less uh, surveillance. And it's okay. It's, it's actually good to have one column of, yes, you can send this by email. Yes, you can send this on your private email. Yes, you can store this on your personal Dropbox, whatever. Um, but this will help you see patterns in their company of that sort of information. So next, think about when they get a new client. Again, do they have banking information, address information, detailed client information? You know, at some level, I love to tell clients, you know, most of your data isn't yours at all. It's your client's. Right? That's true for us. That's true for our clients. It's true for their clients. Right? Data is only important because it is data about a whole bunch of other people. And I know our industry is sort of feeling under attack because we are, but so is the accounting industry. Right? They, have, they store information about all the intimate financial details of all of their clients. Lawyers store all the you know intimate details of um, their clients and so forth and so on so help them map out this matrix of types of data that are inside your company right and there may be all kinds of weird things that even if you're not in hipaa you might have some odd places where social security numbers show up uh, you might have personnel records in different places uh, you might have some stuff that's just private because it's nobody's business, like the, the minutes of the executive committee or 
um, decisions made uh, by a particular department or whatever. Sales goals, sales targets. You know, one of the bigger targets is always, you know, what is my, who are my competition's biggest prospects? Because those should be my biggest prospects, right? That sort of espionage. So once you sit down with your client, you need to ask some questions uh, about their policies and then help them develop these policies. Now, here's what I would do. And you may have seen it. I hope you've seen it. On YouTube, I put up a sample video. If you go to mspwebinar.com, that's a singular webinar, not uh, no S in that, mspwebinar.com. I have put up my hour-long training that I literally just did this week with a client. Or, well, I guess I did it last week. And I've attached to that the entire PowerPoint so that you can download it, remove my graphics, add your graphics, uh, put on, you know, take off my name, put on your name, uh, update the examples because, hey, it's two weeks old. <laughs> There'll be another breach in 20 minutes, right? So always have really good current examples. Some of that advice in there, some of the best advice in there is 10 years old. But some of it is completely new. You know, the password policies are essentially opposite of what they were 10 years ago. But you should do a training for your clients. Now, I charged $500 for that training. And now I charged $500 because A, I knew the client would pay it. And B, I knew that I would use it to entice people like you to join my mailing list. Uh, and so it has value for me beyond that. Um, but that's the kind of resource that you should put out there. And maybe you've got clients who will pay a thousand and maybe you've got clients who will only pay your hourly rate. So you get $150, $200. But you should do that training. And then that allows you to have this conversation. There's only one question that can come out of a conversation about the questions of data security. And that question is, do you help companies write these policies? And that answer should be yes. Helping them to engage at a deep level in their security should be a money-making prospect for you. So, you know, don't forget, <laughs> don't forget to ask for their money, right? Um, it, it should absolutely happen. But when they say, um, okay, they've got this written policy for handling data, then the next question is, where is it? Oh, it's in a company uh, handbook. Oh, okay. Have you ever memorized? Have you ever read a company handbook? Did anybody know it? Does anybody know what that means? And are there things in that policy that are just totally techno babble and don't make any sense to actual data users? Because that's stupid. These policies should be very non-technical. They should be bullet-pointed lists that are just super easy for clients to understand. Do not put anything with a social security number in an email, period. End of story. No discussion is needed. You can have a discussion, but it shouldn't be on that bulleted list. And then 
one great question is, do your clients sign non-disclosure agreements with their employees? They should. And it's important that they should because, again, their data is not their data. It's their, their client's data, right? And those should be renewed on a regular basis. They should be something that, you know, if I'm their client, I'm going to want to have a copy of those non-disclosure agreements from time to time. And then, you know, put together this matrix and, and don't hide it. Don't let anybody put it in a drawer. Post it on bulletin boards. Make sure people can glance up and say, oh, wait a minute. This looks like it's related to the sales department. So I'm going to go and see on the, on the column that says sales department, can I put this on a, a map to drive? Can I store this on a USB key? Can I send this in a company email? Can I send it in a private email? Can I send it to my home Google Drive? What you're going to find is there's a really clear pattern that you want people to use certain resources and not use other resources, but you want them to learn that and to see that for themselves. And then, you know, do they have a policy that says, uh, you know, who can access these things remotely? And this has changed completely during the pandemic. People who used to never, ever have access to remote access are now working from home full-time. So um, can people access company email from their home computer? Yes or no? And the answer to that will make some big differences about how you can manage their security. Not, not, not what you want to do, but how you can do it. And then can they access the server data from home through a VPN or something else? If yes, is there an official way to do this? You know, you want to clamp down these systems and make sure there's only one way for them to do each of these things and you can control it. Um, and again, same thing. If somebody's working from home, can they access stuff through a cloud drive? Can they put their email on their phone? That's not a simple question because, you know, you need to be able to at least nuke the data or if not, you need to nuke the phone. And what happens if you nuke a phone and it's got every vacation picture that that employee has taken for the last 10 years, right? You, again, you need to be very careful about this and do it with intention. But you should document how things are stored, where all of this is. And I know some of you have already done this, but a whole lot of you know you need to do this and have never actually done it with a client. And the days are here where it's time to do this. Luckily, all of this is billable. None of this is part of maintenance. None of this is included in managed services. It might be someday, and it might be that you will rewrite your managed service policy to include this. But if you do that, I highly recommend that you require that the client sit down with you and have these meetings. And don't let a client say, oh, too busy, too busy, too busy, not this month. Right? At some point, you have to say, look, I have to pull, pull this contract if you don't do this. It is that important. And just tell them, you know, here's the deal. You give me $1.7 million as a deposit, and we don't have to have this security meeting. But until you do that, we have to have this security meeting. Um, and then there needs to be a very clear, concise document 
for the employees that says, here's how you get to QuickBooks if you have access. Here's how you get to the Line of Business app if you have access. Here's how you access the server remotely, right? Tick, 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 tick. Here's how you do each of these things so that they know what is allowed and what is not allowed. And basically, if it's not on the list, it's not allowed. Um, and then, of course, there's the basics. Like, this is the time to say, we are done with simple passwords. I don't care if there are objections. It doesn't matter. The easiest thing that you can do is have a 15 to 20 character password that's complex. Um, passwords that you can remember are forbidden from now on. There will be one password vault. It will be company approved. And then find out how many places you can install two-factor authentication and do that. And people are going to complain. They will say, that just slows me down. Yes, yes it does. But you know what? It also slows down the bad guys who now have the entire budget of the government of Russia to attack your systems. So put up with it. That's the way it goes. Um, and then you need to just literally go back to page one of security. You need to do a full backup every night. And I'm not going to argue with anybody about that. I, don't, I think incrementals are one of the stupidest things ever invented. You need a full backup every night, whatever it takes. And if people can't afford that, you need to lower their expectations about security and increase the amount of time that you have given yourself to restore their data. And then you need to test those backups. And by test it, I do not mean look at a, a JPEG produced by a BDR vendor that said, hey, guess what? We mounted your image. It's all good to go. No. Someone on your staff needs to mount that image and prove to themselves that A, they know how to use it, and B, they can get the data off of that backup and onto a live server. You cannot have your staff not know how to do these things because in an emergency, they're going to see stuff they've never seen before. And A, they might do it wrong, but B, they might not be able to do it at all. So your staff needs to do the testing of backups. That has to be built into your managed service contract. That is covered by managed services. That's the maintenance of the operating system and software. And so you absolutely have to have data backups and you have to test them. And that has to be included in it. Bottom line is I want you to begin having these conversations and Forever and ever and ever, I have pushed having what I call quarterly roadmap meetings. Other people call them, you know, business reviews. But you need to sit down with your clients and have a never-ending conversation about their security. And that has to begin now. And CISA just literally this week, like a couple days ago, put out new guidelines for how to respond to a cybersecurity incident. What is the playbook for responding? You need to go get that and document it and um, begin using it. I would love to have your feedback on any or all of this and uh, your comments. And, you know, if you are a member of the Small Biz Thoughts technology community, there are sample data handling guides and a sample cybersecurity questionnaire that you can use to start these conversations. If you are not a member of the Small Biz Thoughts technology community, 
you should join. It's only uh, right now it's a thousand dollars, thousand ninety nine dollars a year. The price is going up January first, so you can lock in the lower price for life. Um, and it's a great investment. We have resources like this there all the time, and um, we also have ongoing conversations about how you do all these things. Anyway, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening. Please, if you have any questions or comments, put them uh, in an email to me, carlp at smallbizthoughts.com, and I will see you on the next SMB Community Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the SMB Community Podcast. If you found this useful, interesting, or fun, please subscribe, share with your friends, and give us a thumbs up on your favorite social media. Please check out the show notes at smbcommunitypodcast.com and give us your feedback.